I think it's a great place to be. And I think that those of us who belong here, we think it's a great place to be. And so we'd love to have you come and be with us. I apologize for the quality of my voice today. I've been battling sinus drainage and cold and everything else. I told Jared the other day, I feel like I'm going to die. But I said, I'm afraid I'm not going to. <clears throat> but I do feel better, and I appreciate so much your presence today. We're going to be looking at the passage that Landon read a moment ago, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. I want us to talk today about Jesus, the friend of sinners. All of us want to say that we have friends. I want to say to you today that you can have no better friend than Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, wants to be your friend. There are a lot of blessings that we enjoy in this life, and yet to know that Jesus is willing to be our friend. As we think about what Matthew records for us in verses 9 through 13, we're going to be talking about Jesus, the friend of sinners. I want to begin today by talking about his association with sinners. We begin by noting together Jesus' discipleship of Matthew. Listen to what Matthew said again in verse 9. Then as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. First, I think of the call. Jesus wanted Matthew to become a follower of his. Matthew goes on to say, and he arose and followed him. He was compliant. Luke said in chapter 5, verse 28, Luke said that when Jesus called Matthew, that he arose and left all and followed him. Jesus himself said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But then there's a second thing I want you to see. And that is the fact that Jesus dined with Matthew. Note with me verse 10. And so it was as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now as we emphasize Jesus' association with sinners, I want you to first of all consider the occupation of those who were present. Matthew, of course, was a tax collector. And those who were said to have assembled in his home for the purpose of dining with Jesus, they too were what? They were tax collectors. How do you think the Jews felt about tax collectors? Let me just say it like this. They didn't like them. And they, they certainly didn't like one of their own 
serving under Roman rule as a tax collector. So we talk about their occupation. But then you need to also see the reputation of those who were present. The Bible says that in verse 10, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now verse 11 really emphasizes the reputation of those who were present on this occasion. Because you see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, they asked the question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors, now note, and sinners? They didn't like the fact that Jesus would associate with these people, did they? They looked down upon these people. The Pharisees were self-righteous. We might use the term smug. They were arrogant. They felt like they were okay spiritually. And they looked down upon other people, just as they did here. So we talk about his association with sinners. But now I want you to note with me, if you would, the attack that is, leveled, that is leveled against Jesus because of sinners. And again, we go back to verse 11. The Pharisees, when they saw what occurred with Jesus in the home of Matthew, they want to know, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? A couple of things here. First of all, it's my conviction that the Pharisees misunderstood the purpose for Jesus' coming. Jesus came to heal those who were sick, but not necessarily physical sickness, but rather spiritual sickness. The Lord was intent on helping the human family, those who were marred by a life of sin. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 12. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Well people don't go to the doctor, typically. They don't go to a physician. But Jesus said a physician is for sick people. Jesus came to help those who were sick, whose souls were sick. And why was that? Because of sin? Did not Paul say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Romans 3, 23. And yet Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, said that the Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. You see, Jesus came to help sick people, people who are sick in sin. And then I think about the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. When the apostle Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So you see, Jesus is exactly where he needs to be. He's with sinful people. For what purpose? 
to save their soul. Now, the Pharisees misunderstood the purpose of Jesus' coming, and they also misunderstood the people for whom Jesus came. Jesus came to help people whose lives have been wrecked and ruined by sin. I want you to listen again to what Jesus said in response to his critics. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, they would have deemed themselves righteous in the eyes of God. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus delivered a series of woes directed primarily at the scribes and Pharisees. He said, outwardly, they appear righteous before men. But he said, inwardly, they are full of all uncleanness. What they needed to do was to develop a heart of compassion and mercy. They were big on sacrifice. The problem was their heart. Now, I said a moment ago, they misunderstood the people for whom Jesus came. Jesus came to help those who were dead in sin. When we talk about the coming of the Son of God, we have to understand that Jesus saw the world under the bondage of sin. And so his intent, his efforts were to help fallen humanity. I mentioned a moment ago, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. The only way to offset spiritual death is to turn to Jesus, the great physician. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he said, And you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So you see, Jesus came to help those who were dead in sin, but also he came to help those who were degraded by sin. Now there are a lot of people in our world today if you were to engage them in conversation and specifically talk to them about their spiritual life and the possibility of connecting with the great physician, their response would be, you know what? There's just no hope for me. Their idea their mentality is that their, their life is so marred, their reputation is so stained 
that they are beyond the scope of redemption. Let me tell you what. If you were perfect, Jesus would not have come. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need the Lord. The Bible says, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's everybody. All of us stand in need of a Savior. I think about that woman at Jacob's well that Jesus talked to. And Jesus instructed her on one occasion to go and call your husband. During the course of their conversation, and she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, well, you're right there. You've had five husbands. The man you're now living with is not your husband. He said, in that you've said well. Did you know that Jesus made a profound difference in her life? He identified himself as the Messiah to her. Here was a woman whose life had been degraded or stained by sin, so to speak. And yet she goes back to her hometown and she says, come see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. There was a tremendous revival that occurred among the Samaritan people. Why? Because of that one woman. I think about the woman that is spoken of in John chapter 8, of whom John says was caught in the very act of adultery. Now those who brought her to Jesus... Their motives were impure. But here was a woman that had made a mistake. Maybe she had made many mistakes in life. I don't know. And we talk about the degradation of sin. The reputation that stems out of that. So here's a woman that has been taken in adultery and yet Jesus says go and sin no more. The point is, Jesus can take you where you are, whatever your situation is in life, he can take your life and he can change it for the better. So, yes, there are some that are degraded by their lifestyle. But then also, Jesus can help you if you're in despair you see the sad truth is there are some people because of where they've been what they've done the lifestyle that they've been engaged in there is this air of despair this feeling of despondency and discouragement I mentioned a moment ago talking to some people in the world who have the idea that there's just no way that Jesus would ever want anything to do with them there's no way that Jesus could ever help them. Well, the devil wants you to believe that. In Psalm 51, you remember the occasion David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. In the course of trying to cover up or conceal that relationship, he had her husband killed on the front line of battle. And so in Psalm 51, what is typically called the penitential psalm, David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness. But I want you to listen to what he says in that context. David said, my sin is ever before me. 
Sometimes we make, for lack of a better way to say it, sometimes we make terrible decisions in life. We make grave mistakes that have unbelievable consequences. Yes, David sinned. Yes, he sinned with Bathsheba. Yes, he sinned in having Uriah put to death on the front line of battle. David was in despair. And yet David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I think what the Lord would say is, there's hope. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But you see, Jesus came to help those who are in despair. Think about Matthew. And think about those who were in the house of Matthew. Had they been associating with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, do you think the Pharisees would have looked favorably upon them outside this context? Absolutely not. Do you think they would have given them the time of day? Not a chance. But here's Jesus, the Son of God who came to seek and to save the lost. And here he is, and what's he doing? He's associating with these people. For what purpose? For the purpose of helping them. Lifting them up. Trying to make a difference in their lives. And let me tell you what, he made a difference in their lives. Now, let me just thirdly, talk for a minute or two about his attitude toward those who are sinners. What is Jesus' attitude toward sinful people? I want you to please listen very carefully. There are a lot of people in this world, and sadly, there are some people in the church their idea is that they have somehow got to get quote unquote good enough for the Lord to love them or to reach out and help them. You will never be good enough. If you were quote unquote good enough, the Lord would not have come. I want to suggest to you that Jesus loves sinful people. We need to hear that. Jesus loves sinful people. Now, does he condone sinful practices? No, of course not. His intent is to elevate, to help people out of a lifestyle that is contradictory to his word. There are two very specific things I want you to see here. When we talk about Jesus loving sinful people, listen to Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That encompasses everybody. God loves the human family. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, 
than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, the friend of sinners, died for every person. Now, number one, Jesus can give you a better life. We need to hear that. Jesus can give us a better life. Look at Matthew and those who were in his household eating with Jesus. Here's the Son of God. He is in the home of Matthew, and he's there for the purpose of giving these people a better life. Let me ask you this question today. Would you like a better life? Think about where you are in your life right now. Think about everything that's going on in your, in your life, in your family. Are you where you want to be in life? Could you say all is well? I'm here to tell you, Jesus, Jesus can give you a better life. Not just a better life, but the best life. Christianity is the best life of the best. Nothing compares to it. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was eaten up with a life of sin. And yet Jesus gave him a better life. But here's another thing I want you to see very quickly, and that is Jesus can give you a blessed life. I want you to hear what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Is the Lord interested in my welfare here on planet earth? Absolutely. Does he really care? Yes, he does. As Peter said, we cast all our care on him. Why? Because he cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7. Jesus can not only give me a better life, he can give me a blessed life. There are a lot of people in our world today. They're looking for a better life and they're looking for a blessed life. The problem is they're looking in all the wrong places. But you see Jesus going from person to person, from town to town, from city to city, and what's he doing? He's making a difference in the lives of people. He's making a difference in the lives of people that he genuinely cared about. He did not see those people as numbers. He saw them as human souls in need of a Savior. Now, I said a moment ago that Jesus loves sinful people, and he does. The Bible also teaches us that Jesus can liberate sinful people. I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus has the ability to liberate people who are living in sin. A couple of things along these lines. First of all, Jesus and Jesus alone can give you help. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, or rather no man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Jesus is our, he is our access to God the Father. When we turn to the Lord and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are well on our way to being helped by the Son of God. 
Think about on Pentecost Day. Here you have thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem. Many of those people, many of those people had probably stood at the foot of the cross. The apostle Peter preached Jesus to them. He said, you men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by many miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in your midst. Him being taken by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, he said, you have taken and crucified and slain. Now the Bible says in verse 37, they were cut or pricked in their hearts. They needed help, didn't they? Because they asked the question, what shall we do? Listen to what Peter said. Repent, that is change your life, make a 180, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Now we talk about getting help and going to the right person for help. When you go to Jesus, you're going to the right person. When you, when you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, you have been helped with the problem called sin. And here's what the Bible says about the problem of sin when we obey the gospel. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. Let's talk about Matthew for a minute or some of the folks that were assembled in his house. They have this reputation as being sinful people. Do you think, don't you think that these people would have been interested in what Jesus had to say, in what he was selling? The Lord's here and he's saying, look, I can help you. If you had terminal cancer and you Heard about a doctor that had a success rate of 100% in healing his patients. Would you not seek him out? Would you not want him on your team, on your side? You know the answer to that. Let me tell you what. If you have sin in your life, if you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need help. And it begins with Jesus. I'll tell you a second thing. Jesus can not only, not only will he help you, but he will give you healing. What kind of healing, healing am I talking about? In Luke chapter 4, we read of Jesus in the temple. And the Bible says that he was handed the book of Isaiah. He opened that book. And he said, in reading from that text, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And then he said, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Go back and read Psalm 51. Was David's heart broken because of what he had done? You know he was. You know it was. Here is David and he is pouring out his heart to God and he is saying against you and you only have I sinned. 
the Lord can, he can heal your hurting heart. There, there are things that, there are things that people do in life and there are lifestyles that people engage in in this life that bring misery, unhappiness, despondency, depression. There are lifestyles and attitudes that will destroy. And yet to know that wherever we are, Whatever our state is in this life, Jesus has the ability to provide for us healing. Look, I don't know how many times I've had to go to the hospital and have my hands or fingers stitched up. I have the scars to prove it. Your life might be scarred by sin. But Jesus can heal you. He can heal those scars. You ever seen a scar that just won't heal? Or rather a, a cut or an abrasion that just won't heal? Jesus can heal you. And there's a final thing I want to share with you very quickly. Jesus, he's not only in the business of giving help and healing, he is in the business of giving hope. Hope. The Bible talks about people who do not have a relationship with the Lord. The Bible says they're without hope and without God in this world. Have you ever been in a situation and in all candor and honesty seemed like there was no hope? I mean, really and truly, no hope. There are people that feel boxed in like that. They feel as if they have no hope. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, said, you were without hope and without God in this world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is the difference maker. It changes the situation from hopeless to hopeful. And here's the beauty of it all. When you come to Christ, the Bible says that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. That's hope. That's hope. Where are you today? We talk about Jesus being a friend to sinners. If you have sin in your life, I want you to know right now, the Lord Jesus, if he were here, he'd want to be with you. He'd want to spend time with you. You know why? Because he would want to make a difference in your life. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, but I encourage you to do that. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized into Christ. Let God add you to the church. It's in that context that the Bible tells us we are the redeemed, the reconciled. Maybe you're here today. Maybe your life's in shambles. And 
You want to get things turned around. I want you to know there's hope for you. What you need to do is make the commitment today. I'm going to repent. I'm going to get things turned around. I'm going to do my best. Here's what John said. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you're a Christian. So you've strayed. So your life's not what it ought to be. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Jesus, he'll take you back with open arms. Would you come to him as we stand and sing?